Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Crazy Money. This is Paul Allinger, your host, and I am grateful to you for joining me today to explore what we want from money. We, me, you, us, everybody. Our guest today is a guy named Mark Cahotis, and he is an interesting cat. He is a short seller who uses his investments to go after bad guys. Well, what? What does that mean? Well, first of all, a short seller, what is that? Okay, if you already know, just chill for a second. A short seller, folks, is somebody who believes that an investment vehicle is gonna go down in price. It doesn't matter how they do it, the net of it is that they make a bet against a stock or a commodity or a currency or a part of the market, and they're like, okay, that's going down, and I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. And if they bet right, they can make a whole bunch of money. Why would they think that a stock or commodity or whatever is going to go down? Well, it could be any number of things. It could be the weather in Peru. It could be the geopolitical situation in Thailand. Or if you're Mark Cahotis, you make a career betting against companies that you suspect of fraudulent financial reporting. That's what Mark's done for the past 30 plus years, and he's vocal about it. When he finds fraud, he tells everybody who will listen, including the Twitterverse. So when two FBI agents showed up on his farm to tell him to stop tweeting about the company MyMedics and their CEO, Pete Petit, Mark says he knew something was rotten in the Marietta, Georgia biotech company's operations. But Paul, you may ask yourself, Crazy Money, this podcast that I'm listening to now and that I love and that I am sharing with all my friends every episode, because I'm, I'm listening to all of them, including the back ones that I missed before I started listening to it. This is not an investment show. So why is Mark Cahotis on here? Well, he's on here. Good question, by the way. But he's on here because he approaches this not just about money, but as a mission. Yes, Mark makes a lot of money doing this sometimes. Sometimes he loses a lot of money. But he swears that money is not his mission, that his mission is to be the antiseptic in the market, killing off some of the bad germs and bad actors, killing them off financially, not physically. That's an important distinction. He's also hopefully dissuading future fraudsters from getting their start. In his 30-plus year career, Mark claims to have put a lot of people in jail and exposed 50 to 70 frauds, mostly in the biotech and subprime mortgage industries. He has been called the Scourge of Wall Street and Warren Buffett's Mosquitoes. What cute pet names. Harvard Business School has written two case studies about Mark's methods. So, like, it's a real thing. Mark takes his work very seriously, working 18-hour-plus days to find and prove corruption. He is especially tenacious when his target companies push back or trash his reputation. Says Cahotas, there's no greater motivator than disrespect. A to the man, Mark. Mark contends that MyMedics has been engaged in several dishonest practices that have resulted in, among other things, wildly overstated revenue for the company. You'll hear much greater detail in this interview. Furthermore, he says that Petit, the former CEO, called in political favors from Georgia Senator Johnny Isaacson, who interceded on MyMedics' behalf with the VA, the FDA, and the FBI, while Isaacson was chair of both Senate Committee on Veterans Affairs and the Senate Ethics Committee. <sighs> Listen, this isn't a political show, but I bring this up because I think it's important, and you can decide for yourself whether or not it's appropriate for a senator to intervene on the behalf of a private citizen, on the behalf of a public company in his home state. You can make a strong argument on both sides of it, but I do think, at the very least, it's super, super interesting, and that Mark's story whether or not you buy into his side of the things is a pretty interesting one too because if he's not out there doing it who else is getting bad actors out of the marketplace i don't know i think it's worth a listen 
Here's Mark Cahotas. I mean, if you're CEO and you wear a wig, something tends to be up. It's without fail. There's something about guys who wear wigs. They're not comfortable with themselves or they want to look fake or whatever it is. It's just the wig indicator works from a stock trading standpoint or a stock investment standpoint. My name is Paul Ollinger. I'm a stand-up comedian with a background in the corporate world. I hit the lottery when I worked at a small company called Facebook. I'm fascinated with money, why we're so obsessed with it, and how it makes us happy or not. Welcome to Crazy Money. Mark Cahotis, welcome to Crazy Money. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me. Mark, in late 2017, a black SUV rolled up the driveway of your Sonoma County ranch, and some guys in bad suits got out. Who were they, and why were they there? Well, that was someday. Hopefully one day you come by and visit me, but we have a very long driveway, and we have a house where my wife and I live, and we have a second house where my disabled son lives. He's 32, and he lives independently, and we have a great setup here. And I'm having lunch with him and a friend of mine, Billy Buckingham, who had pancreatic cancer at the time. He's since passed on, rest his soul. We're having lunch, catching up, and laughing a bit. My wife walks in and says, there's two men here to see you. I said, well, tell them I'm busy having lunch. Come back later. She says, you don't understand. They're with the FBI. And my lawyer and I had complained about a public company called MyMedics, symbol MDXG. There's plenty of news on that thing about me and them. And I'm thinking, yippee, yippee. They're here to talk to me about MyMedics. So I come out and... There's these two guys, and they say, we're with the FBI. Can we talk to you about my medics? I said, sure. Can I see your ID? And they showed me a badge but no ID. And they said, is there a place where we can talk? I said, yeah, we can talk in the house. The Wall Street Journal did a video about this. Walked into the house, and we sit down, and they show me a tweet that I made about the CEO, Parker Petit. And I said, wait a minute. You're not here to ask me about what I've sent in? (laughs) They said, no, we need you to quit tweeting about Mr. Petit. And I said, do you have a warrant? (laughs) They said, no. I said, am I the subject of an investigation? They said, no. Why the heck are you here? Yeah. Then I said, get the fuck out of my house. (laughs) And they said, no. Then I told my wife to call the sheriff. And these guys were hassling me about tweets I was making about Parker Petit, the CEO of my medics. It was beyond an uncomfortable situation and refused to show me their full ID. And I didn't know if they were thugs or goons hired by people who don't like me and don't want me snooping around stuff, or there were really FBI guys. So I live in rural Sonoma County, and the sheriff eventually shows up, and he gets the guys out of the house. You know, my wife at the time, she was hurriedly calling my lawyer, Mm -hmm. David Shapiro, who's a former U.S. attorney. And most of the time, he makes pottery, and in his part-time, he's my lawyer. 
<laughs> I think he tried to call him four or five times, and I guess after the fifth time, he decided to pick up. The part that's crazy and scary with this whole thing is they told me and they told him when they the FBI spoke with him, they said, we need your client to stop tweeting because if we come back, there'll be consequences. Mm, ominous. We were really, yeah, and we were really turned off by that. That was very upsetting. And we're still trying to figure out exactly what we're going to do about that. Because in the United States of America in 2000, at the time it was December of 2017, you cannot have a company bribe a senator, which in this case was Johnny Isaacson out of Georgia, which we subsequently through FOIA found out that that's how this whole shitstorm happened. To come out and see a citizen for no reason and tell him to quit tweeting, <laughs> especially given all that's going on in this country and in this society. And the crazy thing is, they didn't show me identification, proper identification. Anyone can have a stupid-looking fake O badge. Sure. And you know, I have I have a gun that's on the property. I have a shotgun for safety. And it could have turned into a bad, bad, bad situation. And I can easily see how it can turn into a bad situation because those guys have guns. And if someone says to them, get off my property, you know, get end up shot or something like that or even worse. Probably not a great idea to shoot an FBI agent, even if you have no, cause. No, no, I, I completely get that. <laughs> but a lot of people can come by and say they're people who they're not. Sure. And when you tell someone and if they don't have a warrant to leave and they don't leave, you know, things, things get bad. Let's take a step back and we're going to go deep into my medics and the FBI and Senator Johnny Isaacson. I want to set some context for our listeners here. What is it that you do? How do you make your living or how have you made your living over the past couple of decades? Well, I'm 59 years old and I started really playing around in stocks. When I was a sophomore in high school, around 1976, and I played gold, and that's when gold was going and oil was going and things like that. Eventually, graduated high school. I was never a good student. I got B's and C's, and I went to a place called Babson College in Massachusetts because they were looking for people from the Midwest. I think I was in the bottom fourth-fifth of my class. So this is a sign for anyone who listens. You don't need good grades to do something in your life. Graduated Babson College, and I wanted to be in the stock market, and I ended up getting a job. I worked part-time at Merrill Lynch through college. I got a job at the Northern Trust in Chicago in 1982 when the Dow was in the hundreds, I think it was 700 or 800 or something like that. Market took off, and I met a guy at the bank named Paul Andini, and he showed me what shorting stocks was about, and we used to go at night to coin drop arcades and watch pinball machines. At the time, video games were first coming out. Then Landini thought that it was going to kill the coin-op business, and he was dead right. So we were friendly with the guys who owned these local places, and every third or fourth day, we'd go in there and ask them how many coins were going into each of the machines. The industry is defunct now, but in the industry at the time, it was called coin drop. So we used to check out coin drop of these machines. And sequentially, and week after week, they kept going down, down, down. And we shorted a company called Valley Manufacturing, which made all these games. Mm -hmm. Even though the market was going up, I think the stock went from like 28 to 3. 
they made a lot of money in that. This isn't really an investment show, so can you explain what shorting means? Sure. Shorting stocks is the exact opposite of, of buying stocks for a profit. When you short a stock, you think the stock is going to go lower, so you sell it today, which is Tuesday, or Wednesday, I'm sorry. Oh, shit, this is Thursday. This is, <laughs> this is how messed up I am, folks. I don't know one day from the next. You're on the West Coast. It's, it's, it, on the West Coast, it's still 1969, so who knows what day it is. <laughs> I used to say that about the South. So, no, it's 1949 here. Go ahead. <laughs> so if I'm looking at, let's just say, for better or worse, Apple computer, and I think the stock's too high at 200, I go to my broker, I borrow some shares of Apple, and I sell it. I sell it at 200. I'm obligated one day to buy it back. If I buy it back higher, I lose money. If Apple falls apart or business gets bad or Trump keeps in China and it goes lower, I cover it. Let's say at 180, I make $20 on it. Mm-hmm. So my friend Landini thought Valley was going to collapse and he was dead right. So we sold it at 28 and I think we covered it at three. Wow. So 20... we made $25, $25 per. At that point in time, I said, this is pretty fun. This is more fun than actually buying stuff. That was my first short and that's what sort of got me started in this. So then worked for a fellow named David Rocker in New York in 1985. My son was born in 87. My daughter was born in 91. My son was born with cerebral palsy, and there was this funky treatment out in California, and we used to commute back and forth. And then I said, screw it, and I moved to California. So my wife and I moved to California in 91. I've been in the hedge fund business. I stopped in 2009. And now I just invest for myself and my son, my wife. I don't do anything for her because she's very jittery. (laughs) This makes her beyond beyond nervous. And highly risky. I hate losing. I like winning. But what I hate more than anything is losing money for people. So I don't miss the fun business because I couldn't stand ever losing for folks, which is why I... Uh, don't give advice or attempt not to give advice. So for 30-something years, you've been what would be called a short seller for the most part. And Uh you've done quite well in this stuff to the point where Harvard Business School has written two case studies about your exploits. Can you share short versions Uh of those stories? Uh, Sure. I was big in the mortgage crisis, I think in the 2000s. And there was this horrifically bad company called Novastar out of Kansas City, Missouri. They used to make subprime loans, the riskiest form of loans, to people who should never have bought a house to begin with. I always say that some people shouldn't be parents because they're horrifically bad people, and some people should never own a house because they can't afford it and be too financially irresponsible. So this company, I used to say, would loan money to animals if they possibly could. I thought it was a total fraud. And their lure was, they accounted for their business sort of as a, a trust where whatever they made, they pay out in the form of a dividend. So when the mortgage business was booming at peak housing before the housing crisis, these guys, at least on paper and accounting-wise, made a lot of money, so they paid out a huge dividend. And the stock went way the hell up. And for a long period of time, I was getting killed. Mm-hmm. Just absolutely killed. That was written about how we were getting killed. 
and we lost a lot of clients, but I didn't bend and I didn't bow into the pressure and I kept digging. And their biggest place of origination was Nevada. So a couple <laughs> fellows and I went to Nevada one day and looked at some of their branches. And one of their branches was in a massage parlor. One of their branches was in someone's house. It was all fake. It was just a, it was a complete racket. So mm. it was written about, I think, in the journal once. Then the stock sort of collapsed a bit. Then the SEC got after them. And then the whole thing collapsed. It just absolutely imploded and collapsed. And Richard Morganson at the time sort of She's from the Wall Street Journal. She's with the Wall Street Journal now, then she was with the Times. Okay. So I'm, I think I'm Chapter 12 of Reckless Endangerment, which goes through the entire story. And uh, Harvard picked it up and decided to write a case about it. I've spoken at Harvard. So that was uh, that was fascinating back, the, back in the mortgage crisis days. And the book and the article in the Times, I think you can Google it, gets into great detail of how people ripped others off for money, which is one of my things. I, there's nothing that sort of boils me more than uh, scammers or fraudsters ripping off hardworking individuals for money on any form of get-rich-quick scheme or putting people too much in debt, whether it's subprime housing or subprime auto, loaning people money on a seven-year term for a used car or subprime vacation, which is... Subprime vacation. Oh, my God. You know, timeshare. You know, I call subprime vacations timeshares. You know, they try to lure seniors and unsuspecting people into buying timeshares, which is kind of like buying a boat. Your happiest day is when you buy it. Your second happiest day is when you sell it. The problem with timeshares is you can't sell it because the second you buy it, you've bought into a scam. Right. So I sort of spent my adult life working on exposing all these scams and when they collapse. I'm sure it's a stock I make, and if they keep going, sometimes I lose. But it's a, it's a very difficult uh, way to do things and, and live your life. But I'm so deranged, I actually like really like it. <laughs> As a short seller, you have the opportunity to uh, not only to make a lot of money, of course you can lose money because you're making a bet, and when you're making a bet, you can always lose. But you also have the opportunity, the more I've read about you, you're like the disinfectant in the market. You get to go in there and smoke out the fraudsters. Well, exactly. And to me, I live a modest life. I don't want for anything. I have plenty of money. But to me, the whole thing is, have I made the world a better place? If someone knocked me off tomorrow at my funeral, I think they would say, this guy did in probably 100 to 150 companies of which 30 to 50 of those really rip people off, whether it's veterans or private insurance or individuals or the system. And part of it is trying to make the world better step-by-step, getting rid of some of these fraudulent companies which just scam money out of of people. I think that's important. What folks don't understand, because I'm generally hated by the scam artists, Legitimate people probably don't know who I am because they run a legitimate show. But if you run a crooked enterprise, you know exactly who I am. You mentioned getting knocked off. And as soon as I learned about you, I wanted to talk to you as quickly as possible because uh, (laughs) as mad as you make people, you never know. (laughs) The next knock on your door might not be the FBI. 
nah, don't, people know who I am. I'm pretty safe. I mean, I get threats all the time. You know, the serious ones are taken seriously, but I fight in broad daylight so everyone knows exactly what goes on. And I've been doing this for a very long time. I don't go after organized crime or the mob or anything like that. <laughs> I mean, the white collar guys who are fraudulent, who are such cowards that when you expose them, eventually they uh, they get had and auditors get upset and things like that. But it's, uh, it's quite a journey. But, you know, hopefully little by little, you know, you try to make a difference. And there's definitely a frustrated financial reformer in me that wants to push the needle and make the world better. And I think I've helped a lot, a lot, a lot of people over a long period of time. And, you know, that makes me happy. You say that in your career you've put a lot of people in jail, exposed 50 to 70 frauds. Do you kind of see yourself as a crusader or a vigilante? Mm, I don't view myself as a vigilante. I don't view myself as a crusader. I view myself as someone who sees something wrong and tries to make a difference. I think the government has been so asleep at the switch lately and been getting progressively worse. And I view myself in a position who can look at financial statements or look at a company or look at bad things going on, be in touch with whistleblowers and try to make a difference. I have a pretty good Twitter presence. My Twitter is at Alder Lane Eggs. Eggs, because you live on a chicken farm. Yeah, we used to sell eggs to grocery stores, so that was uh, where the Twitter thing started. I first came out and said, delivering eggs to buy right today, come and get yours, and they sell out very fast. So that's where that started. Oh, that's great. It became a bigger deal, so I, I morphed it into something else. But it's more, it's more trying to make a difference where the government is not moving or the government is too slow. And if you can save some people's lives, health-wise, if you can save some people from losing all their money, if you can save some people from getting in trouble and you can put perps and troublemakers out, that's really a good thing in my mind of mine, and, and I've done that, and I've done that a lot. I've enjoyed doing it, but, you know, I'm kind of sort at age 59 getting a little old for this. <laughs> how do you know, where do you get the information, or, like, how do you figure out which companies are bullshitting the market? You know, that's a really good question, and in some of my interviews, you know, I'm on Real Vision, and if you Google me enough, there's stuff that you can find that could maybe be of some interest to people. I call myself a stalker, but not in a pervy way. (laughs) Um, I see and hear things out there, and I keep my eye on it, on things that just don't sound right, or are too good to be true, or make no sense. Hmm. There are people out there who hear and see things, and they interact with me, and say, have you ever looked at X, Y, and Z? Have you ever looked at this company? They claim that this drug does the following, and it doesn't, and here's why. And then I start digging in and saying, nah, this is too hard to figure out, or this makes no sense, or payday loans, Mm -hmm. that that always intrigues me, or timeshare, and you dig in, and I always say, you bet the jockey, not the horse, and you look at the guys who are running the companies, and if a guy's been at eight companies and seven of those have failed. That's the stuff that really turns me on and intrigues me. So then I start digging a little harder. 
And if the numbers make no sense, I dig a little harder. So I need about 10 things to work before I really get involved in a significant time way. And I always say that the one thing that's a surefire tell is my wig indicator. Your wig, wig indicator. The wig indicator. I think I've been short 16 companies in my life where the CEO and or the CFO wear a wig. (laughs) And I think I've been successful 15 out of 16 times. Seriously. That is rich. And Yeah. I mean, if you're CEO and you wear a wig, something tends to be up. That's hilarious. Literally, it's, it's without fail. And people say, what about hair transplants? I said, no, you have to have a wig. It has to be an old school wig. And, and the last one is this Malincrot, which acquired some scam drug company, and the stock's gone from 130 to 6. This guy, Trudeau, looks to me like he wears a wig. The guy at my medics, Parker Petiti, looks to wear a wig. There's all sorts of examples. There's some guys in Canada wore wigs. I mean, it's just, it's just there's something about guys who wear wigs they're not comfortable with themselves or they want to look fake or whatever it is. It's just the wig indicator works from a stock trading standpoint or a stock investment standpoint. That's a huge... If you own a stock, ladies and gentlemen, get a really good look at the CEO and if he wears a wig, sell it and sell it quickly. That is a great indicator, the wig mm-hmm. indicator. So let's talk about MyMedx. MyMedx is M-I-M-E-D-X for those people who are listening. What does MyMedx do? Well, MyMedx, very simply takes donated placentas, also known as medical waste, basically dehydrates them, purifies them, and uses it as a uh, wound closure device, like a patch. That's one part of their business. The other part of the business is they grind up parts of the placenta, allegedly purify it, and inject it into your anything from your ankle to your knee your private parts, to your scalp, to your spine for various claims, which are 100% unproven. How did they hit your radar? So I'm sailing along doing some reading one day. The fellow who runs Muddy Waters, Carson Block, calls me up and he says, have you seen what my medics is saying about you? And I say to him, what the fuck is a my medics? He says it's symbol NDXG. And I go to their website go to investors, and the CEO is like writing a letter to his shareholders, and he mentions my name and my former partner's name, who I'm not even in touch with, and he says, nefarious short sellers like Mark Cahotas, who's a money launderer involved with the Cali drug cartel, all sorts of bullshit about me, you know, are involved in the stock. So I call up my lawyer, and I send it to him, he says, this is defamation per se. So he writes them a letter and says, take it down or we'll sue you. So they take it down. So I put this out on Twitter, my experience that they wrote these horrific things about me when I wasn't even involved in the stock, our response, and they took it down. And within, I don't know, two or three hours, a bunch of former employees reached out to me through my Twitter direct message saying, you're the first person who got that bully, Parker Petit, to ever back down. Here's what's going on there. Can you help us? Mm. And people were sending me one horror story after another, how these guys were cooking the books, defrauding the government, faking this, faking that. And I said, God, this is something. And it just kept coming. And I said, this is 
this is just too rich. Your spidey senses are tingling, and how do you decide whether or not you're going to take a position against the stock? Well, I take a position after about two days of this, just thinking, I'm not taking a big position at this time, but I still want to do a little something. And then I'm speaking at the Grants Conference, which is a big investment conference in New York City, like the next week. And I already had my presentation in the can, per se, and I figured I might as well talk about this and audible out of some of the stuff I was talking about and just improvise on this. Then it just really went bananas. Then it really went crazy with the stuff coming in. Meaning people were starting to reach out to you with more and more insights into what was really going on. When you say not a big position, are you talking millions, tens of millions? How big did it eventually get? The amount of money doesn't really matter, right? Because I never get into any of that, that kind of specific thing. A small position to me is 2 to 5% of my assets. A uh, big position is 10 to 15% of my assets. Mm-hmm. You know, ridiculous position is bigger than that. But as time went on and various people reached out to me, a lot of formers and competitors, and I start making calls. I've said publicly, and I'll reiterate this today, it's the most fraudulent company I've ever come across, and I've come across some great ones. I suppose the largest fraud in Europe, Learn Out in Houseby, I've been on huge frauds in the United States, mortgage fraud, Boston Chicken, I mean, just media vision, ton of, ton of stuff, AAI Farm. What kind of fraud were they committing? Well, there's financial fraud where they booked revenue, which should have never been booked. They, They made sales, which weren't supposed to be sold. There was accounting fraud in terms of the numbers of what they were expensing and what they shouldn't have been expensing. There was covering up of adverse events where the products were making people sick, mm. uh, or they wouldn't disclose it to the FDA. They've lied to the FDA about purity and sterility issues in their products. They've lied to the FDA about their plant being compliant. They've lied to the SEC. Everything, everything you can think of, these guys have done. They've threatened whistleblowers. They've covered up crimes at the company. Tens of people who have the goods on them. They sue short sellers. They sue former distributors. They sue former employees, threaten current employees. It's everything you've ever seen. And the crazy part of this is they're extraordinarily, or were extraordinarily plugged into the government. Parker mm-hmm. Petit, the CEO, and top management's all been thrown out. But the crimes are still going on there. So Parker Petit, the guy who ran it, the guy who threatened me, the guy who bribed Isaacson to get the FBI to tell me to shut up. I think he was the finance chair for Donald Trump in the state of Georgia. And they donated huge sums to Tom Price, who at the time was going to be the secretary of the head of the HHS Human Services and Isaacson in thinking that these two would make their regulatory problems go away. And they would have made their regulatory problems go away if it wasn't for me raising my hand and saying, here's exactly what's going on. And, you know, I first started speaking out about this thing in October, sent the FBI to visit me in December. And after he sent the FBI to visit me, basically I put the machine into turbo. Basically became a all-day, everyday project. What does turbo look like for you? Turbo looks like I'm sort of a jittery sleeper, so I don't sleep well, and we have four dogs. So, And there's coyotes out where I live. So 
when a dog starts moving or needs to go out or a coyote makes noise, which is about 3 a.m., then I get dressed and go out to my office, which is sort of in a barn, nice barn, and start <laughs> working. So I can work. My wife says I'm the most relentless person ever put on the planet. I really sort of start working at 3, 3.30 Pacific time, and I can I can go till 9 at night. I mean, I take breaks, you know, hanging with my son, doing stuff with him, doing stuff with my wife, and I'm just constant at it till I think I'm done. What are you doing in this time? How do you go to war with a company that has threatened you? I read, I read, I read, and I read documents letters, statements, and then I make phone calls to various people who have angles on this, whether it's former employees, whether it's former customers, whether it's a former CFO of a guy who's suing them after reading his deposition of exactly what he meant on page 389, you know, things like that. And then I travel to meet people. You'd be surprised where the day goes when you start making calls. And it's kind of a relationship business, and people at first don't trust you, and I don't trust them. And sometimes people are full of shit, and sometimes people try to lead you down the wrong trail, and there's a lot of false trails that you take and a lot of trial and error. But when you hit the jackpot, the jackpot's pretty good from an information standpoint, and then you put it together and write letters to the government, write letters to FDA, write letters to the SEC, write letters to their auditors, write letters to their board. I mean, this shit takes time. So I think Real Vision has done a couple documentaries on me. First, when I started talking about it, then they did a two-hour one about all my mimetic stuff. And it's uh, it's pretty rich. It's a, it's a huge amount of time. Yeah, I've, I've watched that whole documentary. It's on Real Vision, and we'll put a link to it in, yeah. the, sh- in the show notes. Yeah, Real, Real Vision is a great thing, but, I mean, it, it just, you know, this stuff just doesn't appear, and no one hands it to me. It's hard work, but I enjoy it. It's kind of like, an, and I appreciate it. I'm a huge Oakland Raider fan. <laughs> right, I have. And I can really appreciate this Antonio Brown guy. And I really can appreciate Jerry Rice. These guys who have talent, but they work their ass off in terms of preparation and practice and getting themselves in shape to be the best they can be. You know, when they say a guy, you know, Gruden says he's never seen a guy like Antonio Brown work out before, you know, I understand what that looks like. Mm -hmm. I understand what it's like to be driven on your craft. And that's sort of what I am. And the good thing or is I don't work for anyone. No one pays me anything. I don't pay anyone anything. I just do my own thing so I can do what I want, when I want, how I want it. I work hard, and you know, the results are the results. I'm not a public guy in terms of not looking for anyone money or don't want money, and, but I enjoy the task at hand. In this documentary, they show how much documentation you've put together on this case, and it is beyond comprehensive. Were you a little obsessed on this project? You know, people accuse me of that, but I don't view it like that. I view it that my life's been threatened on this twice. People have threatened to kill me twice. Mm. When I spoke in Dallas, I had to have a bodyguard, and this and the other. And when people push you, to shut up and people push you to quiet you 
I push harder. I push <laughs> back harder. It's not obsessed. I more view it as a task that I feel it's important to finish. You say in the documentary, there's no greater motivator than disrespect and that these MyMedics guys sure. brought out your A game and then some. Yep, 100% it. I mean, when people think they can forcibly shut me up to cover up a crime and to run a conspiracy, I do what I can to fight back because the way I look at it is if it becomes standard fare for a bad company to bribe a politician to have them go to a senator or congressman to pay someone a visit to their home to shut them up, we are in a bad situation if that starts to become the norm. And before we talk about that a little bit more, do you have any political affiliation or are you an outspoken uh, proponent or critic of either party? None. I'm not a religious guy at all. I'm not a political guy at all. I donate my money to charities that help people, period. Again, I don't show up at church, temple, or any of those places, and I don't give to any politicians. But I do vote. So your criticism of Johnny Isaacson is based on his behavior strictly as interceding on behalf of a private company with the FBI, the VA, and the FDA while he's the chair of both the Veteran Affairs and the Senate Ethics Committee. Exactly. And my lawyer has written letters up, down, and sideways about this bent politician who's crooked as the day is long about how he's abused power and his authority to uh, my medics, Parker Petit, and probably others. I mean, look, I have great respect for veterans and anyone who's fought for this country. Great respect. But people deserve everyone's respect, and they deserve the best medical care. They should not be used as medical guinea pigs to the VA. And the VA is a dumpster fire of medical abuse in terms of what they pay for products, what they waste, bribes, kickbacks, the whole thing. And from a magnetic standpoint, I think I really moved the needle there. And Johnny Isaacson is in the center of all of it. Tom Price, when he was at HHS, definitely influenced the FDA uh, for my medics. Mm-hmm. And I have internal correspondence that indicates this. Yeah. So in order to, when I started you know, our discussion out, to make a difference, I've made a difference here. I mean, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Texas used to reimburse for amnio injectable, and they would be ripped off in the range of the tens of millions of dollars, and that's no longer. They stopped, they stopped reimbursing for it, which whoever chips in to Blue Cross Blue Shield of Texas, I've saved someone some money because the treatments are worthless and they're unproven and there's no medical necessity to it. And, you know, on a bigger scope, everyone talks about medical and the price of medical goes up and up and up and insurance goes up and up and up. If I and a handful of others were to run the system, I could stop it all because part of it is just fraud, waste, graft, kickbacks, bribes, and the whole thing. If you just ran the thing like a real business, all that would go away. Mm. But there's so many people who have so many hands and so many people's pockets, it's, it's, it's too big a thing for me to hit by myself, so, you know, I got my hands full just with my medics, and and I'm not really short the stock anymore right now. I'm just doing this on principle. Right. So when you circle back to it and you say, 
you're upset. I mean, I think I have a no-hitter going through uh, eight and a third innings. And if you're the manager and says we're going to take you out, I said, bullshit, you're not taking me out. You'll take me out if I give up a hit. Mm. But I think I can no-hit these guys, and I, I want to see this thing through. What has happened to them in this two years that you've been working on it, and what does the future look like for these guys, and what do you want to see happen? What does winning the game look like for you? I want to see the government walk in and raid this place, and I want to see the government take in and fix off the market, and I want to see the government go and criminally charge these people who have broken the law criminally, and I want to, and I want to see these guys made an example of so this shit doesn't happen again and again and again. I mean, firing people and them losing their jobs and keeping all their money and the same behavior keeps going on doesn't solve anything because it just keeps on happening. I mean, if you drive drunk and kill five kids and all I do is take away your driver's license for three months and that's your penalty, you're going to do it again and again and again. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's people, people who are doing this should, should go to prison. Martha Stewart went to jail for lying to the SEC. I have a friend, Greg Reyes, who used to be the CEO of Brocade. They threw him in prison for backdating stock options. I think they threw him in jail for two years. And he did nothing wrong. He was just framed. And I, and I have every reason to be skeptical on him, but I'm not. But everyone in the financial crisis, no one went to jail. The Mozilla never went to jail. People who blew up banks, people who, who did all these other things, nothing ever happened to them. So I put on my Twitter, we're in the golden age of white-collar crime and fraud, and, and, and we are. Mm. And if it keeps going, it's very hard to push it back. And people say, and they used to say in the financial crisis, I said, I can see this both ways. I, I can see, you know, me lean in against mortgage fraud and subprime lending and say, you know, you can't afford a house. Why are you in this usury loan? And I could see some congresswoman or man saying, you know, you're just discriminating against poor people. Right. The American right to have a house, right? Just because they can't afford a house like you doesn't mean they shouldn't have a house. To which point I'd say, fine, no problem. But you can't put someone when the housing market is overheated in a 12% loan where rich people are at a 3% loan to take advantage of this person because they want to own a house. Yeah, that resets it. Knowing full well when it goes down, you will destroy these people and their family financially, and they can't afford it. Yeah. So I don't want to discriminate against anyone. I totally understand credit quality, but some people shouldn't own a house. They should just rent. Mm -hmm. And the same person who has bad credit, no one should be able to put them in a seven-year used car loan at 12%. It's just usury. Right. And you're doing it to take advantage of working-class people to make a buck for yourself. And, and there is no economics on a senior a dream, which is some timeshare vacation thing, where they admit, don't can't read the fine print or the salesman doesn't tell them. They're paying $4,000 a week for when you could stay at the Four Seasons for 2000 a week. Right. And they can't get out of this. And they borrow money against it from you at usury rates. And if they default, you ruin their credit and you ruin their life. 
is what I speak out against. This is what I try to expose, you know, with, with great resistance. And, and it's sad that, you know, it's frankly, it's sad that the market's at, I don't know, 25, 6, 7,000, something like that. And innocent, hardworking, blue-collar people keep getting hacked. Yeah. And, and, you know, veterans keep getting injected with toxic shit in their spines or their knee or whatever, all in the, all in the desire to make someone a buck. It's just wrong. Raising generic drug prices. No reason for this, except to make a buck. Yeah. And then they'll say, well, you make a buck when these things go down. That's right. But I take huge risk at this because, one, the whistleblower system doesn't work. And, two, that's what makes markets buyers and sellers. But I always use my own name. I never spread stories. Yeah. You know, I just kind of speak it out. And my Twitter is available for anyone to read it and you know one day when i get tired of this which is probably sooner than later i'm just going to sit down and write a book just kind of tell all of what's really gone on with all this shit the work that you're doing is really important and clearly you're committed to it what price have you paid personally and do you have any regrets well i have an ex-wife i have an (laughs) ex-house i love my current wife (laughs) i'm clearly driven yeah people would use the word obsessed but that's not right because it's not a you know it's kind of like a coach in the nfl you know there's guys who lead a normal life and they're always eight and eight mm-hmm. and there's guys like parcells and gruden who sleep on the coach at the facility work their ass off i mean it's it's, it's all energy so i've been an part of my life working on this stuff which i don't regret that in a minute i I have a disabled son. He's 32. I take care of him. I mean, we're going to go to Southern California tomorrow to see Ed Rowland and Collective Soul. He's a he's a dear friend. That's how I know you. Mm-hmm. So I do a lot of stuff with him. I mean, I travel all over the world with my wife. So I I have no regrets there. I mean, I could have made a whole lot more money than I have, but I don't need it, and I don't keep score with anyone. My health is good, so that's that's all right. No, I don't. I don't really look at things in regret. You know, I've made mm-hmm. a lot of mistakes, and I've learned from them. I don't know. My book will be a fascinating read. I don't know what else I would do. I'm not a guy who wears. Not a country club guy. I don't play golf. Not a private plane guy. Mm-hmm. I drive Porsches, which are good and fancy, but those are the fanciest things I do. Yeah. Not a drinker. I smoke pot now and then to just settle myself down so I can sleep. <laughs> it's legal where I live. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've heard that. And I try to speak truth to power where very few actually do. And you know, would I change anything? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't change anything. You've lost friends recently to cancer and other ailments. Does does this affect your commitment to your work? Well, the one who deeply sends me is this Billy Buckingham, and he was here He was here um, when the FBI showed up, and he had pancreatic cancer, and he actually made it five years. The last time I saw him, he said, don't ever give up on these mimetics guys. He said, you keep going till you get through the dirt, and he was in bad shape. You know, that resonated with me. So I am not stopping. 
and I think it can every day. Yeah, I've lost a lot of people. I've lost, you know, your health is very important. And my son, who's disabled, he inspires me every day because he never complains. He went to regular high school, went to a regular college. He was in a short film with Robin Penn. He's an outstanding guy. And he inspires me every day, but he never complains. What I try to let the younger crowd understand is, you know, this life is not a dress rehearsal. There's no practice here and there's no you know, fake plays. And I, I live every day like it's my last. I, I am not going to get, I feel like I have not been cheated in 59 years. And however many years I have left, I'm not going to be cheated. But this stock stuff is coming to an end sooner than later for me because it's just, I'm not what I was at 40 or 30. None of us is. <laughs> I still have I, I still have plenty of savvy. Mark, I hope you do write that book because it's a it's a great story. I spent hours this past week in reading about you and watching that real vision, the complete yeah. story that, that you've shared with those guys. And and uh, I think it's important that people know that there's uh, you know there's a lot of malfeasance going on out there. I'm not taking a position on my medics or not. People can do their research, come to their own conclusions. It's something worth checking out. You mentioned your Twitter handle earlier. Can you restate what that is, please? At Alder, A-L-D-E-R, Lane, L-A-N-E, Eggs, E-G-G-S. And where else can people learn more about you or read about the MyMedics stuff? Just Google Mark Cahotas MyMedics. I'm sure there's plenty of stuff out there. Mark is M-A-R-C-C-O-H-O-D-E-S. We'll certainly have it all in the show notes. Mark, I really appreciate you yeah. take, taking your time to talk to us today, and best of luck with yeah. everything going forward. Great chatting with you. Look forward to meeting you one day. If you're ever out this way, come on by. Make make rum punch. I like it. And my eggs are pretty, are pretty damn good, and uh, we'll have some rum punch together. But thanks for having me. Yeah, Mark, thanks a lot. All right, so there it is, my interview with Mark Cahotis. At the very least, I find this to be super interesting. Coincidentally, today is Monday, August 19th. There was an article in Bloomberg.com by Joe Nocera, who is of the opinion that Mark went too far in his campaign against my medics. Tomorrow, there'll be the second part of his article, and I don't know what's in that. And so I think it's important to read read whatever you can with an open mind on my medics, and you decide. Was Pete Pettit a bad dude? Did uh, Johnny Isaacson go way too far on behalf of a political donor? I don't know. You know, everybody's innocent until proven guilty, and yet where there's smoke, there's fire. I don't know, folks. You do your research. You decide for yourself. Thank you to Mark for taking the time to talk to us. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to hanging out with you in person sometime soon. Ladies and gentlemen, if you like what we're doing here at Crazy Money, please do me a favor and subscribe to this podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening to it. We are app agnostic until one of us pays us not to be. So whether it's Google's podcast, Apple podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Last FM, whatever, give us some stars. All right. Really appreciate it. If you have a minute, share this episode with a friend who you think would be down with it. Take a look at our back episodes. We've had some really interesting guests, got some great ones coming up too. Thanks as always to my friend and editor, Mike Carano. Mike, make it happen.